You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Money Talks. I'm Andrea Hang. Now, before we start, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you listening out there. I'm feeling sentimental because recently I picked up an award, specifically the SIAS or SIAS Investor Education Journalist of the Year Award. And it's all thanks to you, the listeners are always at the heart of what we do here in the podcast world. So thank you. Please keep following us, leave your comments, just go to your favourite podcast app and you'll find us there. So back to today's episode. It's around the time of the year when we start thinking about life in the following order. We clear leave, we go on holiday, we do our Christmas shopping and then before you know it, Happy New Year! According to Forbes, the top New Year's resolution revolves around mental and physical health. Losing weight is a big one. That's going to be top of my list. Followed by improved finances. That's a big resolution for many of us at the start of the year. It's a universal concern, right? How to save more, how to spend less. Yeah, right. Better ways to invest. Now, that's more like it. Now, on the show, we often talk about the types of stocks you can invest in, instruments, products, how to budget for these specific investment plays. But we've never really talked about how to put it all together. My guest today is going to help us do just that. And with a nice number to aim for, a $100,000 portfolio, is it possible? Let's find out now from Dexter Tia. He's a member of the Advocacy Committee with the CFA Society Singapore. And he's also published a personal finance book. It's called Laughs, Losses and Lessons. Sounds like my kind of book, to be honest. He's also the founder of the Rockstar Portfolio Manager. Before you think it gets any drier than that, you're wrong. It's an investment board game. Something I really need to get my hands on. I'm going to get everyone Christmas presents from you, Dexter. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much much for having me. <laughs> okay, so let's start with that elusive number, okay? 100,000. Say I'm an investing noob, and I am. I'll be the first to admit it. Is 100k reasonable? And is it, more importantly, is it an attainable number for portfolio value? Because on the face of it, 100k, it just sounds very big. Is it really bigger than we think it is? Or do you need to earn like a five, six figure salary to attain this? Yeah, I think it's not really as scary as it sounds, Andrea. Okay. <laughs> because for 100k portfolio, if you're earning, let's say, about three to four thousand mm-hmm. uh, a month, that will bring you about thirty six to forty eight thousand a year. Right. If you think about it from the income you earn from a full time job, mm-hmm. then a hundred k. If you perhaps you save ten percent of it, you'll be able to definitely be able to achieve it in a couple of years' time. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. It sounds very reasonable. That sounds very doable. Is there a specific benefit to having a hundred k portfolio? The advantage of aiming towards getting this as a financial planning goal is that it gives you a bit of peace of mind that you are able to be more financially independent Mm -hmm. because if you have a portfolio of 100k then you will be able to in some scenario in the future be prepared for let's say if you do lose your job you will be able to have some funds available to tide you over a period of and that's on top of the savings that you should be putting aside right that's precisely right Mm -hmm. and the other thing to think about is that not many people perhaps put in much thought about retirement planning oh yes 
Yeah, <laughs> retirement it sounds really far away, mm. and perhaps the thing to think about it: everybody wants to have a nice retirement to be able to sustain their current standard of living. Yeah, and what does that require, Andrea? Oh, uh, lots and lots of money. Yes, precisely. <laughs> well, a reasonable amount of money, at least, because I think you brought up a good point there. You want to be able to maintain a certain level of lifestyle, or at least the level that you are decently comfortable at the time that you are still earning the money. Even though you're slowing down in your retirement years, you still want to maintain a certain sort of lifestyle that you had before, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. So the idea is that if you want to achieve the ability to maintain a current standard of living, you, you might have a goal, let's say a, a million or two million, mm. some date in the future. Why have a short-term goal of 100K is, is because accumulating these funds take time, Andrea. Sure. And if you have a rough plan to reach a certain level of uh, net worth at, by a certain age, then you can see whether you're on track or you need to take on more risk or start saving more if you are behind schedule. It gives you flexibility mm. in that sense. So 100K is kind of like that benchmark. From then, you can decide what you want to do. Do you want to be more adventurous? Do you want to take more risks? It just affords you that flexibility. Yes, that's right. And vice versa as well. Because mm. if you took on quite a substantial amount of risk early right. in your accumulation journey, sure. then you have a higher probability of reaching your retirement goals. Mm. And that also means that you are able to de-risk or start putting your investment in less risky financial instruments. Mm, okay. Not to be an underachiever, but couldn't I build a $50,000 portfolio? I mean, something that's less scary, I guess? It is definitely possible. Okay. Just that if you think about the end goal that you want to achieve with this portfolio, mm. then you might have to invest for a longer duration or take more higher risk decisions mm. when you want to make investments. Right. So for example, someone who's targeting a, a smaller investment portfolio, right. they might be substantially invested in equities or cryptocurrencies. Mm. And these, if you've been following the market in the past couple of years, sure. you might see that these asset classes actually exhibit substantial, even though they give a lot of upside, they, they also involve taking a lot of risk. There's a lot of volatility in those markets, simply Absolutely. put. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you are aiming to have this portfolio and then not making any regular contributions to this, then the fact of the matter is that you will need to be taking a lot more risk than if you have been steadily making contributions despite meeting this 50k portfolio Okay, goal. so you just need to manage your expectations really and then I guess manage the pace of aggression that you want to have in your investment habit. Mm -hmm. Now, our salaries differ, our expenses differ, etc. Is it wise though to think about having an investment portfolio with a number, with a specific number in mind? So, from my personal experience, it's not necessary to have a fixed dollar investment amount mm -hmm. for your portfolio. If you are able to have the discipline to regularly save and contribute towards this portfolio for your retirement planning, then I don't believe that you necessarily need to target a certain uh, dollar value mm -hmm. per se. Andrea, it's really all about the mindset. Are you familiar with the marshmallow test? Yes. Okay. Yes, delayed gratification. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Uh -huh. So wh why I bring this up is that if you receive a paycheck 
there might be tendency to just spend whatever's credited mm-hmm. in your bank, mm-hmm. right? So if you are able to, like what Walter Mitchell, the Stanford psychologist did, get some children who are able to practice delayed gratification, then you will be able to reap the benefits of the rewards. And in this particular example, the benefits of it is that you will be able to allow your investments to compound. It's a really a function of how much you contribute to mm-hmm. your investment portfolio and how long you hold it for. Mm. And not so much about a specific target that right. you have in mind because, right. frankly, the markets do change on yeah, a day-to-day, exactly. month-to-month basis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things are so unpredictable. So I asked that question because I was just wondering, is it really necessary to think about it from yeah, a specific number, dollar sort of point of view? But I'm glad you answered that because it's it's not really... I think you see it as a guideline mm-hmm. and a goal. You think of it as a goal rather than oh, I have to save, I have to have this number because what happens beyond that, right? But that's another conversation for another time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a firm believer in the concept, it's never too late. And I'm a prime example of that. I've started my financial literacy journey very late, but never too late, okay? So for an older person, Mm -hmm. say someone in quite mature in their careers, 40s, 50s, just starting to build a portfolio proper is a hundred k still feasible for them, given their runways and their financial health may not be as optimum as someone say starting out or in the middle of their career, for example. Yeah, so I think for such a, a person that you describe, Andrea, the, the first priority is what are their obligations, what are their liabilities. So someone in this scenario might have a mortgage, they might have kids, and that does consume certain part of their take-home income, mm-hmm. right? So the reality is the the benefit of starting earlier is that perhaps you don't have so much liability and obligation. Sure. If you start a bit later. The first thing to do is to set aside some money to meet these obligations because you don't want to be contributing such a large percentage of your salary to investments when you're unable to meet these obligations. Yeah, yeah. It's not a very nice situation to be in. <laughs> no, absolutely it, not. Yeah, if yeah. you... Cover your basis first, really. Yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. And then the way to think about it is what is the horizon, right? So someone that you describe in their, let's say their 40s or yeah. 50s, if they're planning to retire at age 60. Sure. They have this, you know, 10 to 20 years runway. Yeah, correct. It's very different from someone who had, my, for example, a 30 to 40 years runway. And that also means that if they want to hit a certain financial target, mm-hmm. then they should perhaps be considering something in less risky asset classes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, uh, REITs or uh, fixed income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's get to the foundations. Okay of a 100k portfolio. Yep. What are the building blocks of building a sound 100k portfolio? Where where do I start? Yeah, so maybe Andre I can sh- take this opportunity to share a little bit about myself yeah, and please how do. I built my 100k portfolio. Yes, please do. Right. So, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I went to look at my Excel spreadsheets <laughs> and I, I did see okay, at what point I managed to uh, achieve this 100k yeah, portfolio. Yeah. So, I took about two years to accumulate it. Wow. And when I looked at what I did, like through my expenses, Mm. a lot of it is very similar to what a retail investor in Singapore would do. So I made investments in Singapore stocks. Sure. I put aside a sum of money in a high interest savings account. Mm -hmm. 
And maybe one slight differentiation is I was a bit of a risk taker in okay. my earlier years. So I <laughs> put some money to something called peer-to-peer lending. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Yeah. Interesting. So, so those were what I put my investment capital to work at mm-hmm. those asset classes. Right. And what I also did is I actually have a quite a high savings rate. So I maybe am not as fortunate as mm. others who earn in their first job get like five to, to I don't know. 10K. I would like to meet these people because clearly I'm in the wrong industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised, right? I, even yeah. though I joined the finance industry, I started off with a salary of three to four thousand. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that to accumulate 100k in a duration of two years, mm-hmm. I actually had to have a very high savings rate. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So Otherwise, it's not going to grow so organically, right? Precisely. Mm. There are very limited opportunities to grow your money at such a fast pace yeah. in such a short duration. Yes. So basically, I guess what I'm trying to share is that I put a large chunk of my monthly salary, mm-hmm. I put my bonus that I receive into investments mm-hmm. and those were the kind of steps that I needed to take in order to reach this goal. Okay. Yeah. How should I think about the types of stocks or investments? What kind of play should be in my portfolio in, in terms of categories, in terms of weightage as well? Obviously, the time horizon matters, but mm-hmm. let's base it on... Let's. I mean, this conversation has been framed as a 100k portfolio in, in a two-year period. So let's stick with that framework. Okay. So the categories, the weightage, the play stocks... For some people, that can be your ESG. For, for others, it's, it's something that's a bit more risky, more aggressive. Mm-hmm. What would you advise here? Or maybe you can start by sharing what you did in terms of how you categorize your portfolio and then what you would advise for different types of people. Yeah, absolutely. Andrea, earlier I shared that what I did with the money I set aside for investments went to peer-to-peer mm-hmm. lending, like those unsecured loans. Mm-hmm. It went to Singapore stocks and it went to a high-interest savings account. That's right. Right. So the bulk of the investments in order for me to reach this goal were in stocks. Right. And that's not to say that you should do uh, 100% of your investment into stocks because evidently, as we've seen this year, stocks are pretty risky. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think about it this way, right? If you want to reach a goal and if you don't know how the market environment might perform, it's best to have a multi-asset portfolio. Yeah. And what do I mean by multi-asset, right? You are familiar with equities, stocks? Yes. Yes. Equities is one asset class. Mm -hmm. Earlier, we discussed uh, fixed income Mm -hmm. and bonds. That's another asset class. Mm -hmm. Cash is an asset class. And in your earlier podcast, I know you talk about alternative investments, wine and gold. Mm -hmm. These are also unique asset classes. So the idea is... You don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Exactly. Well, we don't even know what will happen next year, right? We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, the way things are turning out, right? Precisely. Yeah. So what is the best way that an investor can prepare for all scenarios? Mm. That is what it means to, to have a multi-asset class portfolio. Mm-hmm. And there is obviously a certain trajectory, a base trajectory for what might happen next year. Mm. So next year, there's discussion that interest rates will stop uh, rising mm. or it will be on hold and maybe the US Fed they will start cutting interest rates mm. so in that scenario what asset class would do well right mm. so that will be one high probability scenario okay. of what might happen but you never know what if the Fed continues to increase interest rates right? yeah. what if we get into a, a terrible recession next year so 
in those scenarios, which asset class would it make sense to hold? Which will outperform? Mm. So having a little bit in each will help you be prepared for all scenarios. Okay, that's a great answer. But if I wanted to get into specifics, let's say based on what's happened this year, Mm -hmm. since we can't obviously forecast what's happening next year, let's talk about this year. If I were to build a 100k portfolio with those categories in mind, Mm -hmm. based on what's happened this year, how would you divide the weightage? The answer to this question is always, it depends. Mm. So maybe I, I just speak more specifically about myself. Sure. So I have a longer investment horizon, about let's say 30, 40 years. Mm. And that allows me to take on significantly more risk in the mm. sense that if I do suffer some unrealized losses next year, then I have longer time horizon to let my investments recover. So I would be having a large percentage of my investment in equities. Ah. And within equities, there are many ways to, what we call in the industries, express your trade. Mm. So one way would be buying ETFs. Yeah. Another would be buying unit trusts. Yes. You could also buy direct stocks, right? Just these three ways of expressing your equities exposure. Mm -hmm. And my baseline for everything is that if I don't really have any edge, then why don't I have a portfolio of equities that uh, mimics the market, Mm. right? For an ETF that could be tracking a certain index, for example, an ETF tracking the S&P 500 Exactly, I was just going to bring that up, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, same for unit trust. Mm. A lot of them are what we call in the industries benchmark hugging. So they do follow a certain benchmark and they invest in the same stocks. They literally hug Yes. They embrace those stocks mm-hmm. and they tag along. Yes. It's like it's kind of like piggybacking, I guess. It is. It is. In a way. Yeah, because not many people would be able to be contrarian and have an edge. Most of the time, you will be able to capture the returns of the market. Mm. And which brings me to another point. For retail investors who may find this a little bit uh, more complex to execute, then there are solutions today for example, robo-advisors yeah. that are available for them to tap on. Mm, yeah, that, that's making things a lot more convenient mm. for entry-level retail investors especially, I think. Or anyone who wants like, some kind of independence and flexibility, autonomy. Hello, my name is Steve Lai. And I'm Teresa Tang. And we are the hosts of CNA Correspondent. A podcast that takes you to the heart of the work our correspondents do across the globe. From China's COVID response to the child care center massacre in Thailand. And from the fall of Najib Razak to the rise of Anwar Ibrahim as Malaysia's prime minister. We speak to the people at the reporting front lines. So if you want to know how the biggest global stories unfold, make sure you follow or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Now talk to us about the differences in risk appetite. You touched on this quite briefly. Surely there'll be an uneven landscape to meet different risk levels Mm -hmm. in a portfolio, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you walk us through that, your thought process? Yeah. So for myself, other than having a a general habit of a large contribution of my salary to investments, I do think about my portfolio using a goals-based framework. And Mm -hmm. that means that out of the money I put into investments, I do want to achieve certain goals. For example, I'm getting married at the end of this year Mm -hmm. and that 
involves a significant expense okay. that I will need oh, to incur. Wait, let me rewind that moment a little bit. Did you just say you're going to get married this year? Yes. Yeah, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Sorry, yeah. that flew by my head. I was just so focused on what you were talking <laughs> about, your expenses, and I got worried for you and then realized you are getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. You were thank saying you. it's a very big expense. Trust me, I know. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so the idea to think about this is that if you want to have a goal, let's say a wedding within a certain dollar amount budget, mm. then that amount of capital, you can't really take risk for it. So I started the year with this budget in mm. mind for the mm. wedding mm. and I shouldn't be thinking about putting this into stocks because what if the stocks decline 10%, right? And then you have a very low budget wedding. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I probably have to. Yeah. Not the ideal wedding that my, my wife won. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to make her unhappy. Yeah. Happy wife, happy life, they say. Absolutely. So you're saying if you have a budget in mind or if you have something that you really need to save up for and you have a number in mind, to put it in something that's less risky, it's low risk, moderate yields, something that's not going to leave you out in the lurch when there's a market downturn. Precisely. Mm. So the way to think about it is how important this goal is to you. Right. And these goals, you might have different deadlines for you to meet. So Yeah, exactly. I was going to say your runway matters as well. Yes. Your timeline matters as well. Yeah, so if you put it in context of what we discussed earlier, mm -hmm. we talk about retirement planning and that I do have a retirement goal, but at the same time, I have this goal that I want to finance a wedding that meets my wife's expectations. <laughs> I hope she's listening to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure she will. She must know that you're working very hard to make this work for her. I try my best. I try my best. Yeah. For such important goals, then you have a very low ability to take a risk because that will really derail your financial Absolutely, planning Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but if it's something more discretionary or more aspirational, then yes, the money that you set aside for it, you could perhaps make higher risk investments mm. with it as well. Would you consider that to be a common mistake that people make when trying to build a portfolio that they don't think this through? Like, oh, the first thing that comes to mind is a get-rich-quick scheme meaning I put it in an aggressive stock and I'm hoping for the best in a matter of a short period of time. Would you say that's a common mistake that you see? Absolutely. I myself am, am guilty of it <laughs> in a sense that... Well, otherwise, you wouldn't have learned your lesson and been on this podcast today, right? Precisely, precisely. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping to share what I know, mm. uh, my experiences mm. with uh, more people so that they'll be able to learn from it. Yeah. I'll give you a very quick example, right? A lot of people in the finance industry probably think that they are pretty good with making investments and they might take a very concentrated investment uh, position, Yeah. right? So... If we talk about uh, a theme in the past couple of years, I have many friends who were very strong advocates for cryptocurrency. Oh, yes. Yeah. They, they say, oh, it, you know, crypto actually does much better than stocks. So why you bother even buying stocks? Just this must have been before in. it fell below 45, right? Obviously. <laughs> yeah. All these conversations were before last year. So mm. it was post-COVID. Yep. Yeah. And the thing is, most people would see a recency effect. They'll say, okay, it's doing pretty well in the last week or the last couple of months. So we believe in the momentum it will carry us forward. Mm. And then when the tide goes out, when the market environment changes, that's when they're caught under Way. Yeah. Which is why earlier in the podcast I did share, uh, I think more people should learn the importance of a multi-asset portfolio. Yeah. Because in an environment where crypto is not performing, then what would be the best way? You should have a bit of each so that if you're... You're not in fully exposed. Precisely. And I think the other lesson, just taking away from what you said earlier, the other lesson here is take a look at the fundamentals, the history 
of that instrument, of that product that you're about to put your money on. Mm-hmm. Look at the patterns, look at the timeline, look at the historical performance, mm-hmm. essentially. And that should give you a gauge as to you know whether or not this is worth your while, right? Yeah, maybe I just add a bit of differentiation there to what mm. you said. In a sense that sometimes it doesn't necessarily replicate. The history doesn't repeat itself. Sure. But you do see the human behavior, right? When everyone is what we call FOMO, fear yeah. of missing out. Everybody's <laughs> piling in. There was an instance of this in the past, mm. right? So many years ago, people did with crypto is what they did with tulips. Yeah. So it is not a new phenomenon. So history doesn't repeat, but you do see certain rhyme. They do behave in a certain way. And that mm. should give you some thoughts of pausing for concern. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's good advice. Yeah. But once those mistakes happen, is there any way to rectify them when you're in the middle of it all? I think one lesson that a lot of us should maybe take heed of, and it's something that I'm, I'm guilty of and I need to work on myself as well, is that we need to be able to come to a decision to cut loss Mm. I think we need to know when to cut out. Yeah. And sometimes sooner is better than later. But a lot of us are probably very unwilling to take that hit <laughs> right, on our portfolio. I think, you know what? It's a very human thing. It's the same in relationships. It's the same with work. It's a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome where you believe in this thing so much that you find it very hard to let go. You get blindsided by your own, I guess, emotional investment into it. And mm-hmm. I think... When it comes to investing, when it comes to money, emotions need to be the last thing that influences your decision. Yes. So every one of us is uh, subject to certain biases Mm -hmm. and it's good to like evaluate your individual biases or maybe have your friends point it out to you so that you can... (laughs) Provided you listen to them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And provided they're good friends who have wise things to say. Yeah, so... (laughs) There will be feedback, right? When when you do investment, when you share your stories, people will comment mm-hmm. about your strategies. And that's take these as data points, right? Work on the feedback and see what does it say about you, mm-hmm. about your behavior, and maybe what you can do to improve. So that's my general approach in life in the sense that I'm quite open to trying new things. I'm quite receptive to feedback. And I think it goes a long way. Instead of keeping everything to yourself and thinking you're the best investor <laughs> in the planet, right? Uh, once you socialize right, your experience, you, you actually do learn from more diverse perspective and it helps you become a better investor as well. Dexter, you've been a big help, not just for me, but to our listeners as well. It's given us a lot to think about, especially as we you know, take stock of our finances at the end, but also at the start of the year. So thank you so much for being on the Money Talks podcast with me. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrea. And of course, a big thank you to you, listener. We're also always listening to you. So be sure to tell us what you think about this episode and others that we've done as well. Hey, you can also share your ideas for future Money Talks episodes too. Who knows? It might end up here. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And guess what? We're now on YouTube too. The team behind Money Talks is Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robert, Saya Wint, and I'm Andrea Heng, signing out.